Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast, which is now off of hiatus, and for good reason. What a week it has been for USC football. So much going on. Just a massive recruiting weekend last weekend. Just massive to have a dozen visitors come into town from across the country and to come out of it with seven commitments is unlike anything this program has seen in quite some time, obviously. We'll get deeper into what it means and what the broader statement is, and we'll break down each commit. But just an incredible statement for the Trojans to start June in that way. And then on Thursday, finally some clarity on on the future, on the future of Big Ten football scheduling, who USC is going to see on its first Big Ten slates in 2024 and 2025. That was an exciting reveal, especially for those of us on the beat who get to go on all those road trips and get to start thinking about winter coat investments and mittens and scarves and other things that might be needed for some November trips to the upper Midwest, which is fun. All good. I'm looking forward to it. The podcast today is going to be mostly on the recruiting side of things as we were joined by Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney to give his reaction to the incredible results from last weekend to break down each of those commits and his analysis on each, and then to talk a little bit about the uh, Rivals rankings meetings, which happened this week among all the analysts as they reset the 2024 rankings for an update that will come out next week. And while we didn't well spoil the surprise for next week, Adam did kind of give us some insight on, on which guys might – might have seen a bump in their ranking this time around. After that conversation, where we thought we had put a bow tie on this incredible USC recruiting haul from last weekend, the Trojans were done. They get an announcement from three-star outside linebacker Elijah Newby from Connecticut, the prospect who traveled the furthest of all to visit last week and, and who had talked to us afterward and, and had made it clear that, that the visit had a really strong impression upon him and that the authenticity of the staff just really struck him and stood out. But at the time, it sounded like he was still going to take official visits to Penn State and South Carolina and that there was a way to go in his recruitment. So to get his commitment here a handful of days later, another strong statement. And of course, USC fans know by now the routine that the fight on emoji goes out on Twitter from Lincoln Riley's accounts and then from the USC football account and then from USC recruiting staffers and on and on. But that emoji signals a commitment. And there were seven emojis last weekend for those that were counting, which we were. And so we now know six of those seven. Newby becomes the sixth, joining Dakota Fields, the four-star cornerback from Gardena Serra, Fellow Rivals 250 prospect safety Jarvis Boatwright out of Clearwater, Florida, one of the big surprises from last weekend. Rush in Cameron Fountain from Atlanta, fast-rising prospect in this class who just came away so impressed from his visit. And as importantly, his mother came away so impressed from the visit, and they quickly made a decision to commit. Offensive lineman Manassi Atede from Modesto and Hayden Treader from Colorado. And then add on Elijah Newby, and that is your six that we know of so far. Like I said, we are going to go much deeper into all of that. Just wanted to get those names rattled off here at the top of the show. And then feel compelled to talk some Big Ten football scheduling. So let's – anyone listening to this podcast has already seen this. 
because the anticipation for yesterday was quite high among uh, all those within and around this program. But just to recap, in 2024, USC's debut in the Big Ten will include home games with Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and road games at Maryland, Northwestern, Penn State, Purdue, and UCLA. And then in 2025, the Trojans will host Indiana, Michigan State, Nebraska, Penn State, and UCLA, while traveling to Minnesota, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. And of course, that's just the conference slate. I do want to go over just a few takeaways from the schedule release before we dive into the in-depth recruiting discussion. I guess the, the first obvious things to know, they're just finalizing the format for how the Big Ten is going to run things when it moves to 16 teams. And it's going to go away from the division format it currently has. So starting in 2024, when USC and UCLA join, it'll just be one big conference with the top two teams reaching the conference championship game. They're going to have a rotating schedule where every team will play every other conference team twice in a four-year period, once home and once away. So, and, and more or less will play every team once every two years. The Big Ten is a deep conference, but it's also a top-heavy conference when you think of the perennial contenders like Ohio State and Michigan and, to a lesser extent, you know Wisconsin and Penn State. And So if you're avoiding those schools one year versus getting two of them another year, that really changes the dynamics. But a nine-game conference slate every year, rotating schedule. There are 11 protected rivalries that the conference is going to have play every year. Some teams got as many as three of those. I think Iowa had three. They're just going to be fixed games every year. Penn State had none, surprisingly. USC obviously had UCLA, so that will be an every-year game, continue to be an annual showdown uh, as it should be. And then the rest will just rotate, and they come right out of the gates and, and get some really prime matchups in 2024 where – I hate to look ahead because there's so much to be intrigued about by 2023 and the last year of, of Caleb Williams' transcendent college career. So you don't want to rush anything here with the Trojans. But you look at the 2024, and with all that have a Michigan coming to the Coliseum where they've been a playoff team the last two years, that'll be one of the biggest matchups in college football that year. Wisconsin, we'll see how they rebuild with a new staff, but that could be a huge game. Penn State on the road, will Penn State choose to make that its whiteout game where all the fans wear white? And then in 2025, going to Ohio State, which again will just be one of the marquee games in college football that year. Going to Wisconsin, which is traditionally a very hard place to play. Hosting Michigan State, hosting Penn State, hosting Nebraska, which maybe is on the come up with new coaching staff and, and some fresh energy there. You never know. We'll do a fuller podcast down the road about kind of ranking the, the Big Ten cities, towns, towns in a lot of cases, in terms of just travel intrigue and, and road trip fun. I've been to most of them, not all of them, so I have some opinions there. It, it really is going to amplify things for this program, both nationally and, and also just from a week-to-week interest standpoint, I think, for fans. The schedules are going to be just better overall each year. In terms of you know other takeaways, 2024 sets up pretty daunting for the Trojans as you're not only getting 
the aforementioned challenges that I noted in Michigan and Wisconsin at home and Penn State on the road, but also the, the neutral site game in Las Vegas with LSU to start the season, the annual Notre Dame game. So you're looking at potentially one, two, three, four, five, anywhere from, from five to seven ranked teams, some that could be very, very highly ranked on that schedule. And then in 2025, same deal to a large extent where USC hosts Ole Miss in the first year of that home-and-home series. You have Ole Miss, you have Michigan State, Nebraska maybe is better, like I said, Penn State, UCLA, Notre Dame, Ohio State on the road, Wisconsin on the road. Coming out of the gates, two very challenging years for Lincoln Riley and company, and that's coming off of the Caleb Williams era where you're transitioning to a new quarterback. Is it... Miller Moss? Is it Malachi Nelson? Is it a transfer to come in? With that said, I want to get into the recruiting discussion because it's been such a huge week and I wanted to get our rivals analyst on here, put it in perspective. Like I noted initially, we recorded with Adam Gorney, Rivals National Recruiting Director, and broke down the five commitments that had come out between Sunday and, and Monday. But then on Friday morning, Friday afternoon, Elijah Newby out of Connecticut announces his commitment. And so we got Adam Friedman, our East Coast analyst, to hop on at the end. That said, you may hear in the discussion with Gorney references to the five commits and not talking about Newby because we didn't know about it yet. So just understand the timing of when things were recorded. But we will tack on the interview with Adam Friedman at the end. Without further ado, let's get right into it and bring on our first guest. All right, let's get right into it and welcome Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gordy into the show. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course, Ray. Yourself and the Rivals analysts have been immersed in uh, in rankings uh, discussions all week, and we'll have new rankings coming out here soon for the 2024 class. Meanwhile, USC reels in seven commitments from its big visitor weekend last weekend. Five we know about, two that are merely emoji teases uh, on social media. USC fan base is in a frenzy. They're dissecting every Lincoln Riley tweet and, and saying, what's it mean if he has four periods after the emoji? What a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. It is definitely an interesting uh, world we're living in. <laughs> I want to get more specific with a lot of these guys, the, the commitments USC got last week and some others who remain in play and who are visiting this weekend. But let's just start with your overall reaction to see USC kind of kick the month off in that way. What was your take on it all? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, June is going to be a big time around the country. It was a big visit weekend for USC, and they took a lot of commitments. Some some are a little bit projects. Some are guys that can kind of step in right away and, and be impactful. But it seemed like they were waiting for this time. They didn't rush and take a bunch of commitments early on. They kind of reevaluated some guys that had been committed and opened up some more spots. And now it's time to start loading up on the class. Um, you know, last weekend was the start of that, and it uh, and it has gone very well so far. Yeah, it's a great point you made because you know there was a lot of panic on our board just a couple of weeks ago about how does USC only have three commitments so far for this class? What's going wrong? And I said I I really think that Lincoln Riley and and crew are just very confident in their ability to close on these visits. 
and don't see a need to push for early commitments before kids actually go through the official visit experience. And that's kind of become their strategy where, where they just believe that they can close on these weekends. And now they didn't have any weekend like this last year. There was one where they ended up with four out of four that included Tech at Curtis, but that didn't happen all immediately. And that was not a seven. So this is definitely a new level for them, but it speaks to kind of their overall strategy. I'll just run down the list real fast again for everybody. And then we'll get into the name specifically but two rivals, 250 commits, and the cornerback Dakota Fields here locally, of course, and safety Jarvis Boatwright from Clearwater, offensive lineman Hayden Treader from Colorado, outside linebacker Russian Cameron Fountain from Atlanta, and offensive lineman Manassee Atedi. Close? Yep. You got it. Adam Modesto. And then, again, there's actually three more announced that we haven't gotten clarity on yet, one from a couple weeks ago and then two from this weekend that have not announced themselves but got the Lincoln Riley fight on emoji on Twitter Adam of those guys which one were you most surprised by I was most surprised by Fountain and and the reason was because it felt for a long time Tennessee was the school to 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 win there you know I think it's pretty clear his mother really fell in love with USC on the visit I think that was a big selling point for him um, it will be interesting to stay, see if it stays that way for the next nine months or so. Um, but it's definitely a huge win for them because he is a little bit of a project, but he is uh, all of 6'6 six, six and 240 pounds. So when you get that size and that length coming off the edge like that, he, he could be a really, really special prospect. Around the country, um, his ranking kind of sways around from 50 all the way to around 250. Um, I actually think we have him right, rated a little bit too low as a five-seven three-star based on projection. Um, you're not going to get a lot of kids coming off the edge who are six-six. You're not going to get a lot of them with the length that he has, and that's what I think Lincoln Riley and those guys fell in love with. I think I mentioned to you earlier. I've never seen a parent enjoy an official visit more. I think <laughs> I, I think Cameron Fountain's mother has put out about uh, forty-seven tweets uh, extolling the virtues of USC's recruiting staff and the uh, department there. Yeah, and and I think that's an important part of this is that um, you know it's not like the kid just showed up alone and fell in love and and went home back to Atlanta and talked about how great it was out in LA. And in, you know, previous recruiting cycles, that has happened. You know, Michael Williams was a guy from the same area or at least in Georgia who had, you know, sort of committed on the on the visit, loved it, and then sort of pulled back as as signing day got closer. But he had come out alone um, or with another another prospect on that visit, not his not his mom um, who, who fell in love. So. I would not be surprised if she's looking for Atlanta to L.A. flights uh, very soon to get back out here. Yeah, and, and he told me that he's already canceled his Tennessee and Georgia visits he had planned for this month. So at least there should be no drama in that this month. But yes, like you said, it's a long way to go. What's kind of been the, the trajectory for him? Did he kind of come out of nowhere at some point, or has he been known for a few years as a prospect? Yeah, he's he's been known. He doesn't play at like an elite high school in Atlanta, and, and that I think is part of it. But, you know, you look down his offer list, Georgia was very involved here. I thought Tennessee was the team really to beat the, the, the ones that seemed to have all of the uh, the momentum in his recruitment. But, you know, South Carolina offered both Mississippi schools, Missouri, Kentucky, 
Florida State, Auburn, Arkansas. So a lot of the SEC, a lot of Southeast schools, and then USC smartly got involved and and really convinced them that it was the place for him. So um, he hasn't been the biggest name in in uh, in recruiting, but the, you know this off season he's been at some camps. Very impressive kid. Definitely looks the part, and then came out to USC and and pulled the trigger. You mentioned that you never know with the, the East Coast kids, and they had Michael Williams on the hook there, as well as his buddy from down there that year, Christian. Christian Miller had told me that he was a, a silent commit, so yeah. I had the story ready to go. I was waiting on that for forever. To that point, really the last top 250 East Coast guy that USC got would have been Michael Trigg out of Florida, tight yeah. end, who lasted one year and then transferred to Ole Miss. That's why going into the last week, and I kind of thought a lot of these were long shots, and so I was most surprised by Fountain and Boatwright. Let's talk about Boatwright here for a minute, the four-star safety from Clearwater. Again, very impressive offer list. A lot of the same schools, Tennessee, FSU, were involved. What stands out to you about him as a prospect? Yeah, what stands out most about Boatwright to me is just he kind of plays with a little bit of reckless abandon. He is definitely an aggressive hitter. Uh, flies all over the field and makes plays. Now, he did have a knee injury. Um, I believe it was a knee. So I'm a little bit limited, but someone who, uh, you know, when healthy is, has length and can and can cover and, and is not afraid to go around the field and make plays. So, you know, the 6'2", 175 or 180-pound safety is he's definitely fits the prototype and then that aggressiveness, you're not going to be able to, to teach into into a lot of people so he's coming from Clearwater you know and another one that I'm sure Florida State and, and many SEC schools will not give up on especially if he has a big senior season but it's definitely a huge deal to get him locked up early and get him in the class um, especially after that visit last weekend. Dakota Fields the other uh, Rivals 250 guy, the cornerback here locally from Guardian Sarah. Seemed like a USC-Oregon battle. What did you make of his recruitment throughout? Did you always think that the Trojans were going to be the team there? And, and your reaction to him pulling the trigger when he did? Yeah, he hasn't done a lot of football stuff this offseason just because he's been running track. Um, and then he missed time in his junior year um, with injury. But he, when he's on the field, he's very, very good. And so when I talked to him in the fall, I kind of got the impression that he sort of wanted to leave town. Now, you know, that's common for guys that uh, earlier in their recruitment, and then they realize that mom's not going to be around to do the laundry, and so (laughs) they want to stay closer. But what really struck me about Fields was that this was less of a football decision than you might believe. Like, he wants to do real estate. You know, the Los Angeles real estate market is – definitely one of the best in the country i you know i watch a million dollar listings so i would know Uh, that's that's certainly true that's exactly how the real estate world works i'm sure it's it's that beautiful and pleasant so um so i think that played a big factor into it you know i think he had a question about the dorms and, and those kind of kind of questions about living living situation on campus that were that were sort of answered during last weekend um and so i think you know the 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 business school the campus life situation sort of suited him and then and then it made sense you know all the all the sarah guys come to usc i mean sarah has definitely not been the elite program that it had been during the adory jackson years but still it's very common for those guys to just stay in in town and come up and play and so i think that that was an important factor too Um, oregon was definitely there 
but I do, I would say I do want to see Dakota Fields do a lot more football stuff coming up to stay that highly rated. Uh, I understand track is an important part of life, but Roderick Pleasant did a whole lot of football stuff too, and he is one of the best track athletes um, in California history. So I'm sure Dakota Fields could see the football field soon. From what you have seen of him, though, what what is it that kind of puts him in that class as among the top corners in this uh, 2024 group? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he's a six-two corner who's who who could move to safety if needed, but he can play corner without question. He's just a very athletic kid that moves well and can be used all over the field. I mean, literally all over the field. So um, I think that's what really stands out about him. He's a big physical cornerback with athleticism, and those guys don't come along all that often. All right, the big offensive lineman, Manassee Atede from Modesto, has been here two years coming from the Congo in Africa. Speaks six languages, he told me. Impressive guy. And, and a big guy, a really big body. How do you project him to the next level? And then, again, with his recruitment, it seemed like Florida State really had his eye for, for a while there. Yeah, he told me at Under Armour in L.A., I guess, geez, a month and a half ago now or so, that he really didn't have, you know, uh, you know, location wasn't going to play a factor for him because he had only lived for two years in Modesto, Um you know, that's not really an area of, you know, he's going to have to go pretty far to get anywhere where he wanted to play. So Florida State was a school that seemed to be very, very involved with him. Um, but I think, uh, you know, he had talked um, with some other guys that had done this before, including Collins Achimpong, who ended up at Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Miami last year. And, and so they kind of helped him through the recruiting process and how this all works. As a football player, he is a project. I, I don't think there's any way around it, and I think USC knows it. He is very big. There's a lot to, to work with there. He's 6'7", but he does need to learn. You know, he's only played football for a few years. So this is something where he's got to become tougher. He's got to become stronger. He's got he's to develop in, in that sense. And so he he actually is 290 pounds now. He could he could easily get over 300 pounds without having much of an issue. But I, this is I, I I think down the road he can definitely be a big time contributor on the offensive line. I do think once he gets there, a redshirt year um, is certainly in order. Yeah, just more background on him. He told me that he came over here as a basketball guy initially, and then yeah. and then got hurt and saw his basketball recruiting interest kind of died down a little bit and had some coaches say, why don't you try football? Didn't like it at first, but the more he got into it, the more he he, uh, he grew to enjoy it and obviously grew to see his, his future potential there. Hayden Treader, the offensive lineman from Englewood, Colorado, uh, is, is he also in the project category or is he further along? Yeah, he's a little more further along. Um, he is definitely um... – a guy that has position versatility plays a lot of guard in high school, uh, which is perfectly fine, but he is six, six. So there's definitely, you know, some of that size there, but can move along the offensive line. Now for a guy who's six, six, 300 pounds playing in Colorado, he doesn't necessarily physically dominate every rep. So uh, I would like to see more of that nasty streak in him and putting people on their backs. I, I think at, you know, at his level, he's playing some, quality players but certainly not anything 
like you would see in Southern California week in and week out. So I would like to see him dominate more physically, but in terms of size and in terms of position versatility, it's definitely a nice pickup. The interesting thing with him and, and his commitment is that he had never been to USC before. This was his first trip. So, you know, for a lot of these guys, they've, they've done the, the unofficial visits and already have a, a general sense of, of what they're considering with the school. And the, the OV kind of helps finalize those thoughts for him. He, he was coming in, looking at everything for the first time, and still was the first of this bunch to commit. He, he was the first to announce on Sunday morning and really shut down everything else. So, Again, speaks to whatever presentation USC is putting on. Never hurts bringing the guys out to Lincoln Riley's palatial estate on the coast there. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's from the Denver suburbs, so he knows nice areas. But once you get to Southern California and get a sense of what what is offered here, not only you know the campus is obviously beautiful, and you know the history and tradition strikes a lot of kids, and you know the city, and and then obviously what Lincoln Riley is, is building and, and what, you know, whatever else is being shown around LA, it's definitely a step up. So on the field, off the field, there's a whole lot of positives. And so uh, he's going to take advantage of it. With the offensive linemen, it's impressive to look at what they've done in a year and a half since Riley got here, since Josh Henson got here, where that was maybe the most pressing position group that or defensive line where they had to really just rebuild the foundation and the depth chart and they have brought in in a year and a half uh now if, if we're going to count these commits as, as going to you know as making it to campus seven high school prospects one juco and four transfers that includes bobby haskins who has now already graduated and moved on it's a pretty significant overhaul for any single position group oh yeah absolutely and and that is the beauty of well, one, targeting high school players to, to add to the room, but also that's the beauty of the transfer portal, that you don't have to wait two or three years to get Manassia Teti, uh, you know, up to up to speed on, on what you want to do along the offensive line or along the defensive line. You can go to Georgia and get Bear Alexander. You can go to Texas A&M and get Anthony Lucas. And you're immediately putting in two elite defensive <laughs> defensive linemen into into your rotation. So, and even the uh, the Wyoming offensive lineman is is an elite player that should be able to see the uh, the field pretty early. So that's the beauty of the transfer portal is that you could transform a roster immediately. I mean, if, if we don't have to go position by position, but just look at USC's offense last year. They were they did not have a Heisman Trophy candidate before Caleb Williams gets there. Uh, he comes over and immediately it becomes um, an elite offense. And now they're adding, you know, one of South Carolina's best running backs, if not the best one. And then, you know, a linebacker, a tackling machine from Oklahoma State, Mason Cobb. They're taking Traquan Fegans. And because they got Traquan Fegans in the portal, they're getting his brother, who's an elite safety in 25. So recruiting has changed a whole lot. It's not that the, it's not that, the teams that are good have changed a whole lot, but the way they're building their rosters and and making changes to quickly upgrade at positions has completely changed because of the portal. Not to throw any shade here across the coast, but you know I, I used to cover the Florida Gators, and so I've I've kept kind of a pulse on things over there, and I've gotten into some debates with my friends who still cover the team that Billy Napier keeps you know preaching patience and how long it takes to to fix a program and. And I'm saying, well, actually, you know, there's uh, compelling evidence that it doesn't take that long if you know what you're doing in the transfer portal. 
the the interesting thing by that pitch by Napier is that, and I covered Florida too for three years, so I know Gainesville quite well, is that the alumni there have zero patience. <laughs> so uh, it will be interesting if things don't go very quickly uh, if they give him much more much more time to get it right. Yeah, and I could do a whole podcast on my thoughts on that, but we'll uh, we'll segue <laughs> on. Before we do though, just to kind of put a stamp on that point about rebuilding a roster quickly. So I, I took a look at, at just the overall talent transformation on the roster since Riley got here. They now have 10 players who were five-star prospects coming out of high school, 20 players who were rivals 100 prospects, and six more who were in that 100 to 130 range. So 26 players who were in the top 130 in their respective class rankings. When he got here, in terms of what he inherited, he, he only inherited two five-stars and five Rivals 100 guys. Now, they had a little more than that on the 21 roster, but between uh, graduation, draft, uh, departures, what he was left with to start with was two five-stars and five top 100 guys and now has 10 five-stars and, and 20 top 100 guys in a year and a half. So that's, uh, that's quite a statement there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and I think that speaks to what we were just talking about is that you can transform a roster very quickly. Now, USC has built in advantages toward that because a lot of people want to come there. They don't have to get convinced to come and they want to play for Lincoln Riley and they want to play with Caleb Williams and they want to be, you know, the next guy. And, but they, but they've done a phenomenal job, you know, completely overhauling the roster. So what you're saying is playoff or bust now with such a good roster. Yeah, I mean, it feels that way because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Riley himself, he was very adamant to make sure that people kept perspective and realized the significant turnaround last year. But he also didn't dodge away from saying we fell short of where we wanted to be. He's been remarkably blunt and, and candid in his comments. It was after the December signing period last year. He flat out said, if this isn't the least talented team we ever have here, I'll be disappointed. And that's yeah. in the midst of, of, of an 11-win season. Certainly the standard is playoff or bust at this point, I, I do believe, especially in Caleb Williams last year. That's a, that's a unique window you have with a transcendent talent like that. You know, It's not going to be that case every year, that position. So I think for this year, that's a fair statement. Right. I, yeah, I agree. I'll go through some of, some of the other names who, uh, who visited last week and real quickly and some guys that may still be on the hook or, or in play for USC. Let's start with Taylor Tatum, the top 100 running back at a Longview, Texas. What's your pulse on, on where things stand with him? There's a lot of buzz right now for USC and his recruitment. What's your read on him? Yeah, I would be surprised, very surprised at this point if he doesn't end up um, at USC. It looked like it was USC-Oklahoma uh, heading into the visit with Michigan also very involved. Um, and then, you know, the visit goes very, very well. Sunday night, there are rumors that he sort of, you know, was committed already. Whether that's a silent commit that sort of leaked out or um, just really positive vibes after the visit, we'll see. But I'd be very surprised if he doesn't end up there. Now, there are rumors that he could go to Oklahoma's Champion Barbecue next weekend. If he doesn't end up there, then it's almost 100% USC. Or if he doesn't announce a commitment by then, if he does end up there, it's worth watching but I would still say USC is in the pole position there. Uh, another guy, Rivals 250 tight end, Walter Matthews out of Georgia. You wrote this week that you think that it's USC in Florida right now, or that's what he told you, that USC is right up there with, with the Gators at this point? 
Yeah, so after the USC visit, my, my sense is Florida. And, and the reason I say that is because I believe he's there this weekend. Um, and after the USC visit, I said, is, is it still the same? You know, essentially meaning Florida is a little ahead of USC at this point. And he said, yeah, still the same. So my sense is that USC did a very nice job and impressed him, um, but that Florida is probably in the lead there. A couple other guys that I talked to personally that uh, USC is still in the mix for, outside linebacker Elijah Newby from Connecticut. He said it's USC, Penn State, and South Carolina. And then safety Jalen McClain from New Jersey. It still has a handful of schools in the mix, USC, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Rutgers, he only has one other visit planned to Notre Dame, but he said he could add more. But uh, he had one of the best quotes of the week. He said, before I went to USC, my eyes were obviously wide open to it, and obviously I thought I could go there. But after visiting SC and the place in person, it opened my eyes even wider. I really think it could be a spot. So he won the watch there as well. Yeah, definitely. Looking ahead to, to what's coming up, obviously a lot more official visits to go the rest of June. A couple of big ones this weekend, and then a pretty huge weekend uh, the following weekend. And we can talk about those guys later. But let's talk about this weekend real fast with Kingston Villamuasa, the linebacker from St. John Bosco, and his teammate, five-star safety Peyton Woodyard, the Georgia commits. What is your read on those two guys and, and kind of taking their their visit together and having the full attention of the coaching staff as opposed to being part of one, you know a big uh, conglomeration of prospects coming? Yeah, so, like, USC fans might be disappointed that there's, like, 50 guys going to some schools, but only two coming to SC. But but this was intentional. This was planned this way uh, to kind of reserve this weekend for the Bosco teammates to come in with their families and get full attention. Now, you know, with Woodyard, there have been some rumors that Georgia has cooled on him a little bit. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. He is going to be visiting Ohio State and Alabama as well. Um, but USC is definitely a player here. There's no doubt about it that USC has re-engaged with him, very involved from Dante and Lincoln. Dante was at his spring showcase. You know, there's definitely interest there. And he plays at Bosco. It's right down the road. It would be convenient. His family is very involved in his life. Um, so I think that's going to be very important. Kingston might be a little tougher. My sense on him is that, uh, you know, his mom loves USC because of the location and the academics and also the post-football life that he could have in Los Angeles. Trying to sell that to a 17-year-old is, is a little more difficult. I get the sense that he likes Notre Dame the most. You know, he kind of sees himself as going to South Bend and being a little anti teo ish you know, on the field at least. And then uh, Ohio State also uh, being involved because he has a very close relationship with James Laronitis, who had come over from Notre Dame to Ohio State. So I think those two schools are probably a little bit in the lead. If his weekend visit goes really well at SC, they're right back in it. And so I think it was really smart for USC not to just have Kingston and Peyton Woodyard around a bunch of other guys on a weekend, getting the spiel and eating the food and all that kind of stuff, but really bringing these two guys in from Bosco. Both of them are very mature. They don't really care about the free socks and shoes and cake cookies and all those kinds of things that are going to be in the hotel room. They really want to get a real pitch of how the program is going and what kind of relationships they can build there. And so I think it was a really smart move by USC to kind of push everybody to another weekend bring the two local guys in together with their families and give them full attention. 
Do you have a sense for for what USC needs to show Kingston to pull ahead in that uh, race there? Yeah, you know, I think a a lot of this comes down to how is the defense going to look better. Um, I don't think there's any sense that USC's defense was god-awful last year in many ways. Um, And, you know, I think that's going to be part of it, selling it, hey, you know, I can make tackles and I can make plays, but if they're getting bombed and, and... you know, running all all around us and nothing's changing on defense. So I think a lot of the talk is going to be about scheme, but I also think a lot of the talk is going to be about what he can do in Los Angeles, um, you know, at the business school post any college or, you know, if the NFL doesn't work out, how he could be set up in L.A. I think that's going to be a big factor. His mom is definitely involved in this decision, and she likes USC for those reasons, and the location um, is definitely a big factor. Um, but I think more than anything to convince Kingston not to go to South Bend or Columbus, it, it's making L.A. big time. It's making um, his post-football career big time in his hometown. But it's also scheme and how the defense is going to be better. Good deal. I want to throw one last name at you before we talk about some rankings. You've written this week that you think USC is probably the favorite for Draylon Miller, the elite receiver from Texas. He's coming off an impactful Miami visit. What gives you the sense that USC is, is in a good position with him? Yeah, it's interesting. Now, he's going to be a kid for, for USC fans to know that, like, if he ended up at uh, on an A&M visit this weekend, A&M could shoot back up to the top of his list. He's, he's kind of a kid who takes visits and then loves the place and then sort of figures it out from there, and things have changed. I mean, just a few months ago, this felt like – Texas A&M and LSU were the top two. USC has become very, very involved, and I think they're probably the leader right now with Miami in second place. But, you know, he doesn't know what really, you know, I think he loved his Miami visit, but he doesn't know what he's getting in that offense. You know, the quarterback situation um, has been okay. Van Dyke definitely took a step back this past season. There's been a new offensive coordinator there. Um, you know, he knows what he's getting in the USC offense. He's going to get the ball thrown to him a lot. He's a guy that put up huge numbers in his junior season and is expected to again in his senior year. But he is a kid that if he does take a visit somewhere here or there, could fall in love. But I definitely think right now USC leads. Good deal. He'll, he'll be here two weekends from now for his USC official visit. And that's another big weekend for the Trojans. We can probably have the same conversation then and go over a lot more guys. But just to put a bow on, on this past weekend, did USC have the best weekend of anybody in the country recruiting-wise, or is there someone else you would give that title to? Yeah, I think USC was definitely up there. Penn State had a very good weekend as well, and they were definitely busy in terms of uh, of commitments. And they sort of have done it a little bit differently. They're already up to 17. Um, but they landed three big commits, two, um, you know, two local kids and a kid from Florida. But USC was right there in terms of, especially what they wanted to do, kind of, you know, wait things out, get the guys they wanted on campus, and then commitments from them. That's exactly how it worked for them. Good deal. Well, let's close with some rankings talk. You and the analysts labor the way all week on the, on the new update that will come out next week for the 2024s. What USC guys, and without spoiling the surprise, uh, might see a bump. I know there's definitely some that the fans have thought were a little underranked. You know, a, a Xavier Jordan, perhaps, or or Cameron Fountain, as we just talked about. Who were the USC commits that came up in discussion the most? The wide receivers in California uh, basically all moved up. 
Xavier Jordan has been a guy who was at Cathedral last year, and I didn't really see Cathedral much because they haven't had many other guys. He's now at Sierra Canyon, and I've seen him this offseason easily eight times, and he's been outstanding every single time. So uh, he's not a guy that's like going to blow you away physically or really athletically all that all that much, but he is fast, and he just catches everything and is open and catches tough balls and everything else. Um, you know, all those guys in California moved up. Aaron Butler moved up. A uh, local kid of Calabasas, Quasi Gilmer, the Sierra Canyon teammate, although USC isn't involved there. So I, I, I would start there, and then sort of, if you have some names, I'll tell you if they moved up or not by 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 by, by talking about them or my complete silence. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I think the, the other big one was is Cam Fountain, who uh, again. I know you mentioned that there's been a range of, of rankings out there from various people for him. We have him as a three-star right now. Was there much discussion about him this week? Yeah, there there wasn't a ton, but I'll also tell everyone that we uh, we have changed Southeast analysts, so there's a complete reboot of the Southeast rankings going on right now. Um, that will definitely be a name that uh, is brought up as we move through this there's another rankings before the season if you can believe it and then two or three by the time signing day comes so you know a high three-star ranking does not mean that the kid is garbage it just means you know that he's going to be a a steady you know contributor at the college level and has the potential to be drafted into the nfl so that is definitely a name that will be revisited um just based off of his size and, and and you know, move abilities alone. And based on what we've already discussed, I, I would take it that Atete is probably uh, going to stay where he's at. Uh, he still has a lot to show you um, in his development. The other three, four stars they have are Dakota Fields, Jarvis Boatwright, and Brian Jackson, the running back commit from Texas. And any of those guys uh, become a focal point in the talks this week? Yeah, Atete, slight move up, nothing major, but like, yes, exactly what we talked about. I think there's, um, you know, at Under Armour, he definitely looked the part. I thought he struggled a little bit with his footwork. He just, look, he just hasn't played football for very long. He hasn't been trained by guys that, you know, work with offensive linemen all that much. So he's still just really learning. But in terms of his size and his potential, uh, you know, that's very good. Fields really doesn't hasn't done any football stuff. Jackson sort of stayed where he was. And Boatwright, you know, is coming off that injury. So he stayed where uh, where he was as well. All right. Well, we'll be very eager to see where Xavier Jordan ends up on that list uh, next week. And as always, thank you for your time and insight, Adam. I'm sure we'll do this again this summer. All right, man. Talk to you. Okay. And just as we thought we had put a bow on USC's big recruiting weekend last weekend, we find out that Elijah Newby, the three-star outside linebacker from Connecticut, the prospect who traveled the furthest of all to visit last weekend, has announced his commitment. So that's now six Known commitments, there were seven T's by Lincoln Riley with his Twitter emojis. We know six of them now. And as we broke down the other five with Adam Gorney, we have to delve into Elijah Newby now. And we bring on Rivals recruiting analyst Adam Friedman, our East Coast expert. Adam, how's it going? It's good, man. Just trying to keep up with all these these commitments, all these visits. And uh, Newby is one that we had our eye on coming out of the weekend. And, you know, certainly uh, – USC put their best foot forward, and uh, they're getting an impressive-looking prospect. I just saw him uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, 
um, up there in uh, in Connecticut for one of the, what they call their show days up there. A bunch of the prep schools have coordinated workouts at specific times, so college coaches and scouts can go from school to school. And Newby was one of the guys I was looking forward to see up there, and he was impressive. That's for sure. And UNC is going to get a, a really impressive looking player when they when he arrives on campus. I talked to him coming off the visit, and he had very good things to say. He really highlighted the authenticity of the staff. That was what really struck him. But he didn't give me the sense that he was on the precipice of closing down his recruitment. He talked about you know Penn State and South Carolina still being in the mix. Were you expecting him to move this quickly after what you saw from his comments, or was it a surprise that he's uh, he's done this already? Yeah, it's a little surprising that it didn't take more visits. Uh, he struck me as someone who was excited to really get around and take a look at everything that was out there for him in terms of his options. You know, he had a, a visit to uh, Penn State coming up for this weekend originally, and then he had one for Stanford uh, at the end of the month. Um, and those appear to be not happening anymore, but uh, USC. He was really excited about the, the Trojans, Trojans when I spoke to him, and um, I think everything that he he was looking for when he was in LA, he found. And uh, you know, there's a, certainly an opportunity for him on defense there to to really make a splash. What's been his trajectory as a prospect, just in terms of getting on the radar and that kind of emerging as a as a top national guy for a program like USC to want to uh, pursue all the way from the West Coast? Yeah, yeah. Newby is somebody who I was familiar with for the last two years on the, the show days. Like I mentioned earlier, I saw him on that circuit last year. And um, he was a really skinny player trying to figure out if he was going to be a receiver or, or move over to the defensive side of the ball. And he bulked up and, and really excelled on the on the defensive side of the ball. He put up a sub-11 40-yard dash time. And for somebody who's you know 6'3", about 205, 210 right now, uh, that's a pretty good number uh, for for him. So um, you know, he's got a lot of the traits that you look for for outside linebackers, especially in a league like well, they're in the Pac-12 right now. They're going to be moving to the Big Ten, so he'll be able to play a little bit closer to home sometimes. But uh, a lot of the opponents that USC is familiar with, um, they they pass the ball a lot. So getting a guy like newbie who can go sideline to sideline and and really you know be an asset in coverage on all three downs, I think uh, is a big step forward for the USC defense and newbie's got range he's got um, he's got the ability to cover a variety of offensive weapons uh, he can cover running backs out of the backfield tight ends off the line of scrimmage or if they're split out he can even cover some slot receivers uh, and some of those bigger receivers too that he's going to find in the big 10 as well uh, you could you might be able to uh, have newbie help out especially on some underneath routes so um, that scheme versatility is going to pay dividends down the road interesting that that's what you highlight is is he much of a pass rusher yeah yeah he can absolutely get after the quarterback he's an asset in the run game and and the pass game uh, he, he can make stops in the backfield he can beat blockers and get around them into the backfield cause some chaos there and disrupt the quarterbacks make sure that their timing is off with the receivers and, uh, make his presence felt uh, newbie's a guy who with that high ceiling you can do a lot with him and uh, i just I love the athleticism that he brings to the table. It's really going to help him out at the next level. Well, good stuff. Well, just lastly, I know that you and the other analysts spent this week in rankings discussions and getting the, the next update ready for next week. Was he a name that was discussed much in terms of, of where he is slotted now and whether he deserves to be moved at all? 
Oh yeah, definitely. You know, on we we were discussing his name on Monday and Tuesday of this week when we were in 2024 rankings meetings, and newbie's name definitely came up. He's somebody that you're going to see early uh, in the rankings release coming up uh, on uh, on. Well, I guess it starts on Monday. You'll probably see his name on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, and um, you know, I think USC fans have a lot to be excited about with that uh, with newbie. Awesome, great stuff, Adam. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Adam. And Adam, that is our podcast. I hope you enjoy the recruiting talk. And the Trojan Talk podcast is back as we gear up with the season not too far off. Once you're within that three-month window, it really feels like it it comes very quickly. I myself will be on the road later this month visiting some of these remaining recruiting targets in Texas and Georgia and Florida Connecting with them uh, in person and, and get some good stories and updates. So look for that, and we will be back with more podcasts and uh, more interesting guests as the weeks go by, as we build up to this highly anticipated 2023 USC football season. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and great to have you back listening to the show. Great to be back with you. Much more to come.